So we are in the book of Joshua, and we stopped last time most of the way through chapter 5. What's happened up to now, for those of you who don't know the story, is Israel has crossed the Jordan in a reverse replay of the Red Sea. They left Egypt, went into the wilderness through the Red Sea, so now they're coming out of the wilderness and they go through the water again and come across on dry land. The other thing they did when they got on the far side is they stopped and circumcised all their males. And one of the things that I mentioned last time is from a secular military point of view, everything that's going on here is wrong. Because first off, a river crossing operation into hostile territory is perhaps the most difficult and dangerous military operation you can take. Because what happens is you're going across the river and everybody is canalized into a column. And if you get attacked there, you can't deploy and go out to the sides because you're limited by either the width of your bridge or the width of your path through the water. So you're very vulnerable when you're crossing the river militarily. And it's interesting that Joshua leads with the Ark of the Lord. One would think that one would get some advanced forces across, deploy on the far side to protect the river crossing, and then bring the main party across. He doesn't do any of that. Then the next thing he does, as I say, is he circumcises all his men. And if you have just crossed the river into enemy territory, the last thing you want to do is take all of your combat-aged men out of commission for three days. Because remember what happened when Jacob came back into the land with his family, they fetched up at Shechem. The Shechemites grabbed his daughter Dinah and held her hostage. And his sons said to the Shechemites, okay, we'll approve this marriage and so forth, but in order to do that, you've got to get all you guys circumcised. So they said, cool. These guys are coming down here with lots of flocks and herds. Uh, we all circumcise ourselves and we'll integrate them and we'll get all their stuff and they'll be part of us and we'll be able to tax them into oblivion. Well, a couple of days after the circumcision party, everybody was sitting around feeling sorry for himself. And at that point, Simeon and Levi go into the town and kill everybody. So the idea of taking all of your fighting men out immediately after you've done a river crossing and gone into enemy territory, none of this makes sense. But the fact is they're obviously working with and under God's direction, and this is all by way of demonstrating faith. And that takes us up where we are tonight. So we're in Joshua 5, starting in verse 10. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, They kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening at the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. First off, this obviously sets for us the time of the river crossing. Because remember it said that the Jordan was flooding, overflowing its banks, which would happen in the time of the latter rains in the springtime. Obviously here it is about Passover. Now, 
another thing about this is apparently they weren't keeping the Passover in the wilderness. Sort of weren't circumcising either, so I'm not sure what all that was about. I just don't know. The other thing is the manna ceased. These folks are not farming at this point. So at this point, you've crossed the river, you've taken all your men out of commission, and you've turned off your food supply. At that point, they are in a conquer or starve to death position. So the only way that they're going to get supplies is to take the Canaanite cities and take their stuff. Because as I say, they are not in a farming or ranching mode at this point. They are in a military operation mode, which again is not something that you would do if you were a military commander. You'd make sure you had enough supplies with you to sustain yourself for as long as you thought it would take. And apparently, again, that isn't the case. Now, the other thing that this does is remember when they left Egypt, they didn't take any provisions with them. They had their kneading bowls with whatever was ground up at that point, and off they went. The whole purpose of the matzah is their bread didn't have time to rise, and they got three days into the desert, and they were out of food, they were out of water, they were out of everything. So coming back into the land is the reverse of that process. Notice everything as we're going back into the land reverses leaving Egypt. So they left Egypt without food, they're coming back in, and the manna shuts down, and now they are eating the stuff of the land, which is what they gave up when they left Egypt. Verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. So now what we have is a closing bookend for Moses at the burning bush. So Moses is out herding sheep, sees this bush burning, goes up to it, and the angel of the Lord speaks to him from that, and the angel of the Lord says, Take off your shoes, you're on hallowed ground, and he falls down and worships. So you have, again, a larger bookend. The other thing that is kind of fascinating here, although this doesn't say who that is, one of the things that we know from Revelation, for those of you who are up to speed on Revelation, is several times during Revelation, John is tempted to fall down at the feet of somebody and worship it. And the only one who accepts that worship is Yeshua himself. When he's dealing with an angel, the angel grabs him by the scruff of the neck and says, don't you dare do that. I am a created being just like you are. Worship God. This being, commander, accepts worship. So angels who accept worship get in big trouble. That's sort of one of the things Satan was trying to do is obtain worship. Certainly the angels in heaven, when John has his vision, do not accept worship. And... This commander does accept worship, which my lightning fast mind says this must be Yeshua. But you may do with that whatever you like. Certainly the rabbis wouldn't agree with me. So what we've done is by a series of bookends, 
we have completely backed out the Exodus. Because what did they do before they exited Egypt? Passover. So what do they do coming back in? Passover. They left crossing water. They come back crossing water. They left without food and they had manna in the wilderness for 40 years. They come back and as soon as they get out of the wilderness, the manna stops. And then, of course, the leader has an encounter with God. Going out, it was Moses who has an encounter with God. Coming back, it's, it's Joshua that has an encounter with God or Yeshua or whoever you happen to believe it is. So everybody see we've got a whole bunch of bookends closing down. So now we've got Jericho. And this is even more weird. We're at chapter 6. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So this is the instructions of God. And the first thing that is odd is you weren't supposed to take the Ark of the Covenant into battle. Here it leads. The second thing you're supposed to do is you're supposed to rest on the Sabbath. But on the Sabbath, you do seven times as much. Now, caveat there. Assuming they start on the first day of the week. That is not specified here. But the point is, they are, in fact, doing this operation during the Sabbath. Now, for those of you who understand Revelation like I do, what you have are seven seals, and what those seven seals do is authenticate that the Lamb is the rightful ruler of the earth. There his credentials, his title deed, however you want to describe it. He is the king. And it's written down, it's sealed, and everything is kosher, and he's the king. Then you've got seven trumpets which announce the coming of the king. And as I read Thessalonians and Corinthians, he will touch down at the seventh trumpet. Then you'll have seven bowls of wrath where the king deals with his enemies. That's how I read Revelation. You're certainly welcome to read it any way you like. There's lots of really good Bible scholars who would disagree with me. But what I will now suggest to you is Yeshua, on the seventh trumpet, when he touches down, will begin leading his people to dispossess the usurpers from the land. The land, in this case, being planet Earth. What you have at the seventh trumpet here is Joshua, same name, is leading the people of Israel to displace the usurpers from the land. What I'm suggesting to you is that the book of Joshua is in fact a dress rehearsal for the book of Revelation. Everything in here, as far as I know, matches, except we don't have seven plagues. But we will have seven bowls of wrath. 
and in the seventh bowl of wrath, you will get all the plagues of Egypt. And by the way, other than that one little vignette, we never hear of the commander of the army of the Lord again. He's not the guy that is giving instructions to Joshua. Jehovah is the one who is giving instructions to Joshua. So it says here in verse 2, And the Lord, Jehovah, said to Joshua, and then he gives you the set of instructions. It is not the commander of the Lord's army that's giving instructions. So the only reason that this guy shows up, as near as I can tell, is so that we have the take off your shoes for your unhallowed ground. The only purpose he serves, at least in literature, is to serve as a bookend to Moses at the burning bush. He doesn't enter into the action thereafter. 6-6. Six, six. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. Just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horn before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests, were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpet blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. So the camp, I am suggesting, is the entire nation. Men, women, children, everybody. On the map here on the far side of the Jordan, you've got Jericho right down here on the plain. And where Gilgal is, is just slightly north of Jericho. So they're camping on the flat at the plains of the Jordan River, within sight of the city of Jericho. And at least as I understand it, everybody in the nation is there. When they're getting up and marching around the city, they don't have very far to walk. They're camped a very short distance outside of town. So when they get up to walk around it, it's not like a great big long trek. And furthermore, they aren't leaving their women and children unprotected because the distance that the fighting men are away from there is not very far. Since they are instructed to be silent, does this mirror the silence in heaven for about half an hour, I think it is? But however, I don't think that the silence extends to when you go home and go to bed. Verse 12, maybe? So then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of rams were before the ark of the Lord walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to camp, so they did for six days. What I'm suggesting to you is this is the first six trumpets in Revelation. And then 15, on the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city that all that is within it shall be devoted to the the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. 
But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. So at this point, of course, we all know the story. Achan is tempted, and he does take some of the things for himself. But Joshua says clearly up front that anybody doing that is going to bring trouble on the whole camp. So it is not the case that Achan doesn't have any idea what's going on. Verse 19, But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. So Revelation 11:15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, and I will suggest that that's a shout. And to tie all this together, 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Yeshua died and rose again, even so, through Yeshua, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Messiah will rise first. So what I'm suggesting to you is that this Joshua is a dress rehearsal revelation. And unfortunately, you've got to sort of piece it together in the New Testament to get it all. So you've got the First Thessalonians passage where he describes the shout. You've got the Revelations passage where you have a cry in heaven. And then you have the First Corinthians passage where it says this is all going to happen at the last trump. Matthew 24, 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. All of this weaves together, and I personally don't see how you get the rapture as the Sunday church understands it from all that, but they do. In Revelation 11, starting in verse 19, this is after the seventh trumpet, then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple, and there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunders, an earthquake, and heavy hail. And I will suggest that that corresponds with the priest schlepping the ark around Jericho. It makes sense to us to think that Yeshua will return on the only feast that is named after shouting, or a trumpet, Yom Teruah, Rosh Hashanah. And since he has done everything else on one of God's feasts, I am speculating that he's going to return on Yom Teruah. We just don't know what year. And that's the only feast where no one knows the day or the hour. So now we're all the way down to verse 22. And i got to tell you, the idea of going in and slaughtering men, women, and children, that's really tough duty. I think I've told you this story before. When Kay and I were first married, we lived in 
Arlington, Virginia. And we had a peeping Tom. And he would peep in the window when Kay was in the bathroom. You know, we'd try and catch him. And finally, I, we were in there one night, and, and Kay said, he's out there. And I grabbed a rake handle and went around the apartment and took his legs out from under him and was going to proceed to thrash him rather soundly with a rake handle. And the guy's like, no, 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 no more, no more. You know, it was perfectly within my rights to beat the whop out of him with a rake handle. And when he said, stop, I did, I stopped. So the idea of going in there and slaughtering men, women, and children, I'd say that, that's got to be a really tough duty. They did it, but man. So we're now down to verse 22. But the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the women and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasure of the Lord. The sparing of Rahab and her family is, again, a reverse Passover. The angel of death passes over that house that has the crimson thread tied on the window, just like the angel of death passes over the houses that have the blood of the lamb painted on the doorpost. So this is, again, a closing of the bookend. The other thing is gold, silver, bronze, and iron, at that time in our history, any metal was valuable simply because it is so hard to refine, especially with the technology that they had in those days. So taking all metal is a big deal. Verse 25. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And as a matter of fact, she turns up in the line of the Messiah, one of the Gentile brides, if you will, that shows up in the line of the Messiah. Verse 26, Joshua laid an oath on them at that time, saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who raises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. Now, this curse that Joshua lays, Jericho is in fact rebuilt. And it's rebuilt in 1 Kings 16. So if we go to 1 Kings 16 and verse 34, in his days, that is the days of Ahab, Ahab is the king of the northern tribes who married Jezebel. So in his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn. And he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Sigub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. So the names Abiram and Sigub are typical Hebrew names. So this is a Hebrew that rebuilds Jericho. And he does it at the cost of his firstborn. And what I am speculating is one of the things that happened in the pagan side of things is when you would lay a cornerstone, you would lay it with blood. And the blood that 
he used was his firstborn and his youngest son. So curse that Joshua lays on the place where Jericho was is in fact fulfilled when you get to 1 Kings 16. So with that, it will be on to Joshua 7 next time. And we'll deal with Achan and then uh, the battle of Ai and so forth. Let our